Hello, frazzled women. Welcome to Le Vital Course Salon, the virtual lounge for frazzled type A's, imposters, and activity addicts. I'm your host and salonier, Kara Martin-Snyder. Heads up, this podcast features adult women having adult and sometimes potty-mouthed conversation. If you have little ones or folks who won't pardon this kind of French around, please plug in your headphones now. Each episode, my job is to introduce you to a modern woman leaving their unique stain on the world without letting bullshit or burnout slow them down. Today, I want to introduce you all to Sandra Costello. One thing most of you listeners should know about this show are some of the guests that I invite are women that I've just kind of met through email or randomly out in the world, maybe had a conversation with, thought what they were doing was cool, and invited them into the podcast. And other times, I invite women that I know and adore. And Sandra Costello is one of those women. Professionally, Sandra's a photographer. And she goes by the title Chief Hugger, which I immediately fell in love with. And then when I met her as a person, realized she was like about my size, super chatty like I was, and and really energetic and excitable. And I have been looking forward to this conversation Because I've always found that she has so much to share, even when we're just having a personal conversation. And in this interview, she opens up and shares some really personal and vulnerable stories about growing up with anxiety, growing up with immigrant parents. She inspires me with how easily she just is in her own skin. And so without any further ado, here's my conversation with Sandra. Hey, Sandra, welcome to the Vital Core Salon. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here. Thank you, Kara. I am really excited to be with you today. I feel like this show could potentially be about two hours long if we if we let ourselves go. I'm really psyched. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. Yeah, me too. I've been looking forward to it. So to start, You know, these days you're the chief hugger and photographer at Sandra Costello Photography. And from the moment I was introduced to your work, I completely fell in love with your title of chief hugger. Maybe you could start today by telling us the story of how that came to be and and maybe how you you realized you were meant to be a photographer. So about four years ago, I branded my business. And during that time, I uncovered why I do what I do. And it was a wonderful acknowledgement of wanting to accept and support my clients just as they are, which then gave birth to SandraLovesYou.com, which is my website and where you can see my work and learn a little more about me. I found during that time I was totally embracing my inner junior high um, student. And at that time, glitter was my accessory of choice. (laughs) Pink became my primary color and hearts punctuated everything. And Sandra, we, we need to get the picture of you from junior high that I've seen just so people have a frame of reference about what you really mean by pink and glitter. Yeah, well, I'm happy to share that with you and all of your listeners if they would like to get a visual. So as I continued to 
build my brand instead of being the owner or the principal or the CEO, I called myself the chief hugger. And I think actually it could have been suggested by a friend who really gets me. And I thought that is perfect because I thought immediately people could feel the warmth and that I wanted to embrace them and it is absolutely a great conversation starter, and it is a really interesting way to connect with new clients. And, you know, I, I often think that when folks are willing to hug me, you know, when they first meet me, I mean, they, they, they walk into my door and they say, you're the chief hugger, bring it. And uh, I often know that they are a client for life. That's amazing. So, you know, I often wondered too, like, much like you, I am a pixie sized woman. And I don't know if this happens to you, but people just naturally kind of want to touch me sometimes, like not, not creepy and inappropriately, but like, want to hug me or want to point out how tiny my ears are. Or (laughs) do you Uh, get that as well? And then how did being the chief hugger change that? It does happen. Oftentimes people actually like to lift me up. Yes. And I now that I'm in my mid 40s, I feel like it is time for that to stop. <laughs> but I but I understood. I mean, I and I still understand on some level why people want to do that because I'm little and they want to be they just want to be close to me. And that that's all good. <laughs> I think the hugging piece I don't know. I I guess like some of what I am always looking forward to with photographing people and getting to know them is that connection. And shaking hands with someone is a lovely way to introduce yourself. But if you're willing and able to embrace someone that you have just met, like, I don't know, you, you just get off on a totally different foot. And I love that. Yes. And what's interesting and and should be said for the sake of the listeners, you are a naturally like loving, like ebullient woman, you know, so it's it's not like you just gave yourself this name chief hugger to like pander to people, you know, around like, give me a hug when we meet and like infusing this sort of disingenuous rapport. No, not at all. I mean, the one thing that I can say about myself, and I think people who know me well, is that I am genuine whether I want to be or not. <laughs> if if I am feeling something, you will know about it. You know, I like to think that I am kind, but uh, there really isn't a lot of bullshit, and I'm going to get right to things, and that also means I'm going to get right to the good stuff, which is... I really want to be with you. I want to get to know you. And I want to do everything in my power to make my experience for you and with you to be awesome. And thereby awesome for you too. Like it's hard to not have a good time in your presence. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I I, I don't know that um, my younger siblings when we were growing up would have said that. But, you know, I like to think that now they would say that. And, um, and and yeah, I you know it's funny. Like I think I sometimes think of myself as a party girl, but I don't think it's about like 
getting out of control at a party. I think it is about just embracing the joy and surrounding yourself with that feeling as often as possible. Well said. And that's, it It shows. It shows. I mean, for those of you listening, like when Sandra has a party, it's a party. And it's, you know, it's not everyone's wearing a lampshade on their head and running around half naked and like that kind of party, which I've been to those over the years too. But very different <laughs> speed. But it's yeah. like everyone just seems to, even if you don't know everyone in the room, like people will just come up to you and like, hey, I'm so-and-so. Like there is an environment that you set. Like you don't just bring a party. You change the the air. <laughs> well, that is nice of you to say. And, you know, I I feel like every time I get to be with a group of people, whether it's something I initiate or I'm invited to, I feel like it is an opportunity to hear the stories of these people that I've just met. And I think that that genuine curiosity is part of what allows people to be themselves and to feel excited about having a conversation. And and I think that's what it's about to have a party. It is about a celebration of life. And I really feel like that connects to the Irish side of me. Because when I think about visiting my family in Ireland, it really is about celebrating being together and just the simple things in life, whether that means food or drink or music or just being able to be together. Got it. Got it. And creating that kind of rapport and and making people feel so at ease in your presence, these are things from the outside looking in, I see you as being incredibly skilled at. Are these natural gifts and abilities or are these skills that you've you've sort of cultivated along the way? I think like it's always been who I am, but I've finally been able to see those tendencies as gifts and I've learned to celebrate and share them versus apologizing for them. And you know what I mean by that is I get excited pretty easily. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm working hard on this podcast to try to keep my levels of excitement down because I will pierce the earlobes <laughs> of others. On more than one occasion, I have been known to walk through a house and scream out hello and wake a couple of uh, <laughs> sleeping babies. So, so I think that I have always enjoy being with people and wanting to get at a comfort level pretty quickly because when that happens people get to be themselves and they get to really share what matters to them which in turn allows me to share what matters to me and I think those sorts of conversations are really rich. I think also you know in sort of thinking about some of this, you know, I, I started to think about this idea of being joyful and what that has looked like over my lifespan and how I have been able to relate to people in that way. And I think like earlier on, you know, when I was a teenager into college and even into my later twenties and beyond that, you know, I think that 
there were things that were a struggle for me, um, whether it be feeling insecure about something or feeling inadequate. And I think that some of that joy that was always close to the surface felt more like I was compensating for those feelings of insecurity or self-doubt. And I think for a long time, I felt like a poser. And I felt like those were not really who I was and that the idea of being with people was something I was just putting on. But as I got older, and especially once I moved to the Pioneer Valley, and I began to accept so many different parts of who I was, I could relax a little bit, and I could embrace and celebrate who I really was. And being able to do that has been such a gift, because all of that joy that was so close to the surface is now bubbling over. And I feel like I can genuinely connect with people and and people see that. Like they know that I am being myself and that those feelings of happiness is meant for them in that moment and they can trust me. And so I think just even as a business owner, being able to have that sort of connection with people has been amazing. Yes. And you know, how, how does that joy and that, that ability to deeply draw out other people's stories, like how does that trickle into your work? I think some of it is a natural curiosity about people. When people are given the opportunity to talk about the things that light them up, that create this radiance that I get to see when I'm holding a camera in my hands. It is a magical experience because people get to be themselves. They get to show their happiness and I get to capture that in my camera. So not only am I having a good time, like we're having a little party here. You know, they're telling me about things that make them super happy and I get to see, like, everything changes. Their eyes brighten, their skin is different, like, their posture changes. Everything changes in that back and forth. And I think that is why I have been so successful in capturing portraits of people that really look like who they are, but but enhanced, because I've put them into a moment where they can just relax, and, and be totally happy. And gosh, I mean, you know, every time I get to bring, you know, so, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about when I was younger, and when I first got connected to photography, I was a sophomore in high school, and I took a black and white film course. And I had never done anything like that before. And when I think back to learning how to how to take pictures and how to develop film. But more than that, like having a camera in my hands and connecting with people, I realized that I could get to know people in a way that they might not be willing to uh, unleash or uncover because I had a camera in my hands. And 
I get to do all of the things that I love to do without, you know, coming across as being creepy. And <laughs> the camera, the camera is like this conduit. It, it gives people a feeling of safety. And I think it gives me that same feeling. Like it's not like it's just the two of us staring at each other. We have this other thing that allows us to create a conversation. And I might ask them to do something silly or say something silly, but the camera makes it okay. And we can have fun in a way that they never expected. And that's the thing that's always so interesting. Like last night, I had a portrait session with a family. Right now, we're in December. And so it's cold out. And I think for some folks, you know, doing a session in the winter is not there, you know, doesn't sound like fun because it's cold. And we're but, pasty and we're white. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like people's noses get a little red. And but anyways, at the end of the shoot, it began to snow just ever so slightly. And, uh, you know, I tried to move through the shoot quickly because it was so cold. And everyone in the family said, that was so that was so fun. I mean, they really sounded surprised. And that happens often because I think people are reluctant to put themselves in front of the camera because they really feel vulnerable and I get that. So I'm always hoping to distract them on some level so that we are really just connecting and then I am capturing moments that they don't expect to see. Very interesting. And you know, for everyone listening, Sandra has done a lot of the headshots on the Vital Core website. And I am, I am definitely one of those people that you're kind of referencing that would be surprised that you can have fun during a photo shoot, because usually any photo shoots or video shoots or anything like that, that I've been a part of, I just as soon as the camera's on me, just feel like I shrink into this smaller version of myself or this like, am I supposed to tap dance? What am I supposed to do here? Like, I'm such a pragmatic person that, like, I immediately go in myself as soon as I realize, like, someone's looking at me, like, that deeply, that closely. Mm. And I, I think that's the case for a lot of people, Kara. And I, I really appreciate you being able to articulate that. What are some tips for people, like, not to go too far down the work, the work track, but, like, what have you seen that has helped people start to relax when they're feeling that? Hmm. Well, um, you know, I think I, I do a little bit of prep work with folks and that that prep work allows them to bring their best self to the shoot. So what that means is keeping it simple, really wearing clothing that's simple and easy and comfortable and really speaks to who they are, you know, hair and makeup which for some people is not something they typically do, but, but I find in the end is quite helpful. And then I think the last part when people say to me, well, what else do I need to do or bring? I say, just, just bring yourself. And I do my best to crack jokes, ask questions, and allow people the time and space that they need to come into their selves during the shoot because it can take a little bit of time for folks to really let their guard down. And so it does just take a little bit of time. And often the beginning of the shoot, I say to folks, 
this is just practice. This is all an experiment. You know, just like we're just going to shoot a couple of frames and we're going to just kind of move around. I'm going to try try this pose and if it works great if it doesn't we'll try something else and it really is just a lot of back and forth and being sure to you know keep the communication going because folks want to know that they're doing a good job and that everything is okay and I, I, I like to reassure folks that they really are crushing it because they they always are as long as they're being themselves then they're doing they're doing a great job got it which is profound because a trait that you and I both share is we're sort of recovering perfectionists so like to hear you be able to kind of recognize that tension and them wanting to do really well and kind of perform for you in a way mm-hmm. and talking it down, like, this is just practice, we're going to take a bunch of shots, you know, translation, we're going to take some terrible photos of you to get to the good ones, right? In some way. Yes, right. You know, I sort of bring this up because I think, you know, perfectionism, as, as you can probably speak to as much as I can speak to it, can be a total joy killer. And I, I'm sure that's something that you have to manage both, you know, in work and then you've had to manage in your personal life as well. How has perfectionism manifested for you? Mm, that is such a good question. And, you know, I think it's something that I often don't talk about with people because it's always been something that has felt private and also I have felt like I've needed to manage it on my own. So I think there are a couple of things over over time that has happened for me. I think as a young person in junior high and then going into high school, I had panic attacks. And I think that that was one way that, uh, you know, I think it was something that came up for me during a time when I wanted to control things. So panic attacks was probably the first manifestation and probably the hardest. Yes, they are no joke. Yeah, I think especially when you're a young person, you have no idea what in the heck is going on. And I think for my, my parents, I think it was really a stressful time. I being the first of five children and, you know, at that point, I, you know, all of my siblings were quite young and my parents were trying to help me through this difficult time and they had never experienced this, this before and weren't quite sure how to, um, how to help me. So, so I think like that, that has been a really interesting part of my story because I think it has, it has been something that has pushed me in every aspect of my life. And even in thinking about being a business owner, if you had asked me when I was 16 years old, if I could imagine myself both as a photographer and or a business owner, I would have said no way because I struggled so much in just being able to do day-to-day stuff that I couldn't ever imagine running a business and running it successfully. So I feel like I've come a long way. Yes, you have, because I think 
when you think about entrepreneurship or going out on your own or starting your own business, you become the face of a business. And I know for me, that was something I struggled with at the beginning, just having to put myself out there time and time again, knowing people are, are sort of watching what I do and probably critiquing the hell out of it, which, you know, is is like a jagged little pill for someone who's, you know, wrestled perfectionism for years. How did you make that transformation? I mean, it's a big leap. How did I make the transformation to business owner or how did I make the transformation to someone who suffered from panic attacks and then was able to tame that and and lead a more productive life? Maybe you can start here. Like, what was it like to be a 16-year-old experiencing panic attacks? Like, were they happening at school? Were they happening at home? Were they happening everywhere? Like, what did that mean? What did that look like? What did it feel like? This is a big question, Kara. Um, I know. <laughs> I didn't say our wish- questions would be easy, Sandra. <laughs> I, I wish I had my mom on the phone. She could tell you all about it. So I, I think for me, they were they were incredibly scary because they happened mostly when I was away from home. And, you know, I I think that some of what was happening during that time was actually separation anxiety. So, you know, I think some of it was getting to an age where I was doing a lot of things on my own. And I think that there were some scary feelings around that. So for me at the time, it was, you know, all of a sudden I would be overwhelmed by these feelings and I want it to be someplace safe. And usually that was at home and it usually was with my mom. Got it. So I think the way that I learned how to deal with that was one, finding a good therapist, which thank goodness my parents were willing to, you know, go that, that route. And then I think the next step was just for me, perseverance. So, for example, during my freshman year of high school, for the first few months I went to school, but for the rest of the year I was home and I had tutors and, you know, it was really, really challenging for me to actually make my way to to school and stay there. And it really got to a point where it was so difficult that I spent uh, the rest of the year at home with tutors and really spent a lot of time working on myself. And I knew, I knew that I didn't want to live my life like this, even at that young age. And so what I would do was I would create lists about things that I was feeling, and then I would create goals for myself. And I would create things that I knew were hard to do, but that I would go ahead and do them. And then if something came up while I was doing them, I would just work through it. So for example, going to the movies, you know, being in a dark place and not being close to a doorway was scary for a little while. And so I kind of worked on that. I would sit close to the door and then I would inch my way closer to the screen. And so I would set up things that I could do to make myself 
uh, feel better and to cope with those feelings of anxiety. And after a while, those things started to dissipate. And then I would create bigger goals for myself. And yeah, I mean, I, I think that just as time went on, and I also became interested in other things, I think that my anxiety started to calm down a bit. And I also got a chance to get to know myself a little bit better. And it sounds like with each time you bravely kind of took that next step, challenged yourself with a goal and and kind of said, I'm going to try to do this. And if stuff comes up, I'm going to face it. It sounds like with each time you did that, you gained a level of confidence. You gained a level of mastery that allowed, allowed you to stretch a little bit more the next time. Absolutely. And I also think that um, starting at a really young age, I got to know myself a lot more than most teenagers did. And, you know, for better or for worse, I, I feel like I got in touch with myself. And that has always been one of the ways that I have been able to connect with people because I feel like I can articulate what I'm feeling. I'm able to communicate with people. And I honestly, genuinely want to know how other people are doing too. And that's such a great way to get to know another person. That's incredible. Your your story is, one, your story is incredible to hear. And I, I want to just make sure I thank you for stepping up and and being really vulnerable. I don't think I realized the extent of the question I was asking you. So thank you for your honesty. And I'm, I'm sure people listening that have ever felt that kind of anxiety are probably thinking, wow, it's, it's not just me. It's, it's not just me, which can be an incredibly reassuring and powerful thing. And I, I guess the other question for you is, so how did you go from that 16-year-old girl with her list and, and sort of challenging herself to, to stepping out as an entrepreneur? I think that photography was always something that was in my heart. And, I, and when I was really going through some difficult times, I believe that photography was my way of connecting with myself, connecting with my family, and being a way to create art that felt good to me. So I think that photography has always been a way for me to get past some of my challenges and really allow myself to grow and be the person that I was always meant to be. When I finally decided to go full-time as a photographer, there really wasn't any looking back. Years ago, when I was a young adult and I was working a day job, I started taking pictures for, um, when it first started, it was really for friends. And, you know, I was doing it because they asked me to and because I liked it, but I couldn't ever imagine doing it as a full-time gig. And, as time continued, I continued to pursue it, and I knew that there, there had, I had to put a, a plan in place to be able to um, become the photographer that, that I knew wanted to 
um, just sort of jump out of the box, you know? So I planned and I worked and I saved until I finally got to a place where I was ready to take that risk and go for it. And when I did, you know, it was totally the right time because that's just kind of how I operate. I, you know, you can tell me like, you're really good at this and you should do this, but unless I feel it and unless I'm ready to go for it, um, there really isn't anything that's going to make me do something that I am not ready for. That's what I like to call the double Dutch approach. You know, like when you're you're playing double Dutch and you put your hands up and you're kind of like moving in time with the rope and you're sort of feeling it out, like when is the right time to jump in? Yeah. It's the double Dutch approach. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I can recall right before I actually um, took the leap that I had a friend who was like, you can do this. You're going to be great. Go for it. You're going to be thrilled. And I'm like, yeah, I know I'm going to be thrilled. Like, I know it's going to be <laughs> awesome. And... I, I know why I want to do this, but for me, I needed to put certain things in place. And, and that might be the perfectionist in me. I think, you know, if, if I can just say, like, one of the things I have discovered being a business owner and an entrepreneur and someone who is always looking to improve things and try new things is that every... so. Like working by myself all the time has its pros and cons. And the pro, the big pro, is that my confidence is built every single day because I am always trying to figure out how to do things I have never done and I don't know how to do. And either I look to other people for help or I figure it out myself. And every time I work it out, I'm like, holy shit, I did it again. <laughs> And, you know, I think that there is something to be said for that because I think when we don't believe in ourselves or we have real self-doubt, we can look to other people for the assistance that we need. But ultimately, everything that we need is within us. And I have learned that over the years. And it has it has been a real gift. I mean, to the point where I actually have a bracelet that I wear now that says, all I need is within me. Oh, that's a great sentiment. It's a great reminder. Yeah, I think it is a great reminder. And I also think that it's okay to take a step back when things don't feel like they're going in the direction that you want them to. You know, us... Us perfectionists, like, you know, I think oftentimes it is about controlling things to look and feel a way that we want other people to see. Like, we want people to have certain perceptions of how it's going for us. But you know what? Sometimes it's a real shit show. <laughs> and, and that's okay. I mean, what I have discovered especially recently as I have begun to pursue public speaking. And that has been a real thrill. And as I've begun to do that, I've been around other people who are telling their stories. And what I have loved so much about that, about that skill and that craft is that you, like all people really care about is you being just who you are, because that is super interesting. And, and I think that 
when I move through my own business, when I connect with my clients, whether it be in person or by phone, like I really want to give opportunities to myself and to them to just like say whatever they want. And sometimes it's a little goofy and we can laugh about it. And sometimes we make mistakes and we can talk about that. But ultimately, if our heart is in the right place and we are trying to be our best selves, then so much goodness is coming out of that, that energy and that connection. Yes, the intention is so is so different. And I'm really, I'm really resonating with what you're talking about, especially around public speaking. Like, there's this notion, and I think I put a lot of pressure on myself around public speaking, you know, that I have to come in and be super quaffed and totally together instead of being the kind of like, loopy sort of woman. You know, I'm a pretty like loopy, I talk really fast, I tell a lot of jokes sometimes in person, conversation sort of circle all over. I'm I'm a tough train to keep on the track someday. And I think originally like becoming the face of Vital Core and being out there as a business owner and a, and an entrepreneur at first and then like in terms of public speaking it was just that that anxiety was sort of that wound was picked at like every time I did a public speaking event because I'm like damn I'm really trying to keep it together but like I got lost on the way there, you know, I was, I roll into the parking lot, like blasting the radio, realize my hair is a disaster because the window is down. And, you know, like five minutes before a speaking event, I'm usually like in the bathroom trying to like pull myself together, apply lipstick appropriately, you know, just. I hear you, lady. I mean, not to interrupt you, but just the lipstick part alone. I mean, like, (laughs) I feel like I am applying layer upon layer of lip gloss right before I have to do something (laughs) scary. And, you know, I think we do things to put those shields up to protect ourselves. That's a good point. Right? Yes. Yes. My my lipstick as my red lipstick as armor. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I mean, you know, just recently my wife said to me before we were having a little party, I was in the bathroom and I was doing up my face and and I was putting on my red lipstick and she said, you're a little nervous, aren't you? I said, (laughs) yeah, maybe, why? And she said, well, you always put makeup on, you know, you're always really, you know, sort of going to town with the lipstick before you're doing something that makes you uncomfortable. And I was like, really? And she said, yeah, and I said, Wow, that is super interesting. And I think it's totally true. I mean, like before I before I plugged into our podcast, I was sure to bring down at least one lip gloss. Oh my I love it. <laughs> and for everyone listening, like I am looking at garage band and sound waves. Like I can't see Sandra at all. <laughs> yeah, but I have my lipstick because I am ready. I am ready. <laughs> That's amazing. But I I think back to your other point too, like that people want and and women, I think especially, and part of the reason I created this podcast in the first place was to hold the space for women to be themselves, lipstick free and all. It's those stories that are the game changers. I know you know this part of my story, like the soundbite version, but for people listening Back in my 20s, when I was hating my career that 
allowed my parents to sleep really well at night. And I'm, you know, I'm a CPA, I'm jet setting around on these high profile bankruptcy cases. And I have a fancy business card from a fancy firm. But I was literally hating my life so bad. And the chronic stress of the lifestyle I was leading and being so misaligned with it was literally inducing what could only be described as irritable bowel syndrome, right? Like it it wasn't these other more serious conditions, but it was IBS. And at the darkest point, I raced to an airport and I had to make that like fatal choice because I was running late. A partner kept me late. Do I, you know, and this was like back in the days before 9-11. So I was like, do I just ditch the rental car at departures? Like, do I just get out of it and leave it and hope it'll make its way back to, you know, Hertz or wherever it came from? <laughs> like, it was that level of crazy. And so I was running through the airport. And of course, my stomach was like a complete disaster by this point. Because IBS is just exacerbated by chronic stress and acute stress like that. And as I was racing, I made the fatal mistake. I'm like, okay, people will surely see that I'm sweating red-faced, my stomach's gurgling, and I'm like panicked. And let me get to the bathroom in the back of the plane. Like, I want to get on this plane before the door shuts. And Mm -hmm. so I run onto the plane and I'm, you know, I'm like practically like, bounding over people and their luggage and like this woman towards the back of the plane would not move like I think she thought I was going to take her space in the overhead or I don't know what she thought but she just epically was not going to move like and and fiercely like all the energy was like don't fuck with me and I literally as I tried to go around her and she wouldn't let me and just kept blocking the way I literally shit my pants on the plane Oh, Kara. I mean, there is nothing to make you existentially question like everything in your life than a moment like that. I blocked out a lot of it. Honestly, I can't remember a lot. I remember at one point like the flight attendant like banging on the door and telling me I had to take my seat so the plane could take off and just thinking like, oh, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) But that was a story you know, here I am telling it now on a podcast as we talk about how important it is to show up as as real people. That was a story that one, I think I blocked out just for the health of my own psyche for probably a half decade. And then I felt like it started coming into my consciousness as I was trying to sort out and, and heal myself and get better and and then when I became a business owner, it was interesting because I didn't talk about that at first at all. Like, I didn't even talk about IBS. It was too Mm -hmm. shameful. And it was funny because I started getting clients that were like, they'd, we'd do a couple sessions and a few sessions in, they were like, so I'm having really horrible digestive issues. And I'd be like, okay, give me the gory details. What does that mean? Like, this is safe. I'm not judging. And I was just attracting people that had this like same experience happen. And finally, after a few years, I was with a bunch of girlfriends and they were sharing about when they had shit their pants in public. Um, I won't out any of them. They they might be (laughs) listening. But that was a moment where I was like, wait a minute. This is happening to my clients. This is happening to my friends. This happened to me in spectacular style. Why are we not talking about these things? Uh And and it took a long time to get there and and really just kind of say like this was a part of my story and this was a huge game changer in the trajectory of life for me and you know i think i thought oh my god people are going to just like laugh at me like 
And I found like it actually just drew people closer. Like the people that that has happened to know what it's like to have to triangulate for a bathroom, you know, and have that be, you know, 90% of your headspace is focused on like, is there a bathroom? Can I do this activity? Because is there a bathroom? Yeah. And that kind of thing. So I think it's, it's so powerful that you, you brought that up and shared that all of this stuff that we're learning about you, because it is those stories that are the things that change the game for people. Yeah, I, I think you're totally right. And and just as a side note, I, I can relate to the near shitting story <laughs> that, that many of your friends may have experienced because I've had my own like vacation or time with IBS. And, you know, it is not a vacation. Why I chose yeah. that word, I don't know. But, but I've had my Your dalliance. Own. Yeah, yeah. And it is not pleasant. And it is scary. And it is certainly not something that you want to talk about with people. But, but here's the thing. Like when you start to get real, when you start to talk about the stuff that is um, not only has meaning to you, but is also a part of the the challenges, whether it be like keeping your shit together, literally, you know, trying to make it through a movie because you're having a panic attack. I mean, whatever it is that you are working through, somebody else is working through their own stuff. And all of those things bring us closer because we we allow ourselves to be at the surface. We get to be real. And I think that's where the good stuff is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the things in our stories that we perceive as challenges are the things that move the needle, right? Like it's never like, oh man, I got that analysis totally right. That changed my life. I mean, it's it's the things that have felt hard or confusing or, you know, insert whatever the appropriate adjective is, you know, in, in your world or for people listening in their world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the hard stuff that we are going through are the things that make us great because we are learning from those experiences. We are getting stronger and somehow we can then relate to each other better. You know, I don't think that in that moment of that challenge, we can appreciate that. I mean, certainly when I was 16 years old and I was freaking out, there was no way that I could imagine taking those feelings and that experience to a place later down um, my, you know, down, down the story of my life where I can say, I totally understand what you're feeling and you're going to be just fine. I mean, I, I think it's part of what I've been able to bring to weddings when I am photographing um, someone's really important day and they are totally freaking out. I mean, I know what that feels like. So I can sit with them in that moment and I can be the steady that they need so that, and then I can remind them, you're, you're fine. You're doing just great and everything is going to be okay. And you don't have to do anything that you don't want to. If you don't want to get married, that's another story altogether. (laughs) But like, you know, this, this worry or this fear that you're feeling in this moment, this will pass and you're going to be just fine. And they are. Yeah, sometimes in those moments, it's hard to remember, like, I will live to tell about this. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. And Sandra, you know, we've been talking a lot about perfectionism, but I, to your point, there have been other challenges in your story or what you once may have perceived as a challenge. And, you know, two things that come to mind, because I know you and I know parts of your story, coming out as a lesbian and, and also having immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. How did you learn to fully embrace those parts of you? It's funny just hearing you say those things, like the idea of like being a lesbian and having immigrant parents, like makes me want to have a panic attack. Um, <laughs> because, you know, in thinking about my own coming out, I think about moving to the Pioneer Valley uh, over 12 years ago and what that felt like and what that did both for me and my relationship with my parents. I think being in this area really gave me the space to be accepting of myself because I was living in a community where being married to a woman didn't seem to matter to to many people. I mean, it just, it wasn't an issue. Not that it was necessarily an issue being in the Boston area, but it was different. And I think I needed some time for myself to be truly accepting of that part of who I was. And when I was able to say, I'm a lesbian, big deal. That's just part of who I am. I'm also 5'1". I'm also Italian. I'm also Irish. (laughs) Like I could put aside this one piece of who I was and I could actually pay the attention that the rest of me was yearning for. I mean, I think that there was a lot of stuff about myself that I wasn't giving proper attention to because the whole coming out process was so draining to me and so fearful that I couldn't really investigate the fact that I wanted to be a photographer, that I wanted to be a business owner, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, and that I wanted to be a part of my community in a big, big way. Because there was so much joy living inside this little body of mine. (laughs) I think that having the space and the time, and, and that's the thing, like, I think sometimes we just need time and perspective. So... I think for me, having that time and space to really be accepting of who I was also meant that my relationship with my parents grew. And, you know, growing up as one of five in a small house where we often spent a lot of time together with other family and we spent a lot of time eating Like those were like, those were a lot of the main activities. And I think as a teenager, I didn't quite like that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I think that's the case for all kids. Like whether your parents come from another country or not, like you want to be with your friends and that's just kind of what's on your brain. But I think what came from both my growing up experience and then kind of going back to my accepting myself is that I I think that I have been given the gift of relationships. I've given, I've been given the gift of relationships, both with my parents, with all of my siblings and with myself. I think that when we can 
accept who we are and really tune in to the parts that make us most joyful and the gifts that help and, and bring happiness to other people. Like we get to be our whole big selves. You know, I, I think that earlier in my life, when I was first coming out, I thought, how am I going to deal with this? Like, I think there was so much judgment on my part. That it had to be dealt with, right? I mean, that even that statement alone is is so interesting to hear. Like that it, it was something you had to deal with. And And I think that's really the word that I was looking for was judgment. In, in this conversation, because I was working so hard to make sure that even though I was gay, that I was the right kind of gay, that I looked a certain way and I acted a certain way. And all of those things got in the way of me just being Sandra. I think that when we are able to release the judgment piece of who we are and how we live our life, then we are much better off. How did you shake off that judgment? Because that's, that's easier for us to sit here and say, you know, at the end of our journey. But for, for women listening, who might be struggling to show up as themselves on a on a day to day basis, and like really, truly show up as themselves, like, what advice would you have or, or what helped you? This is a very big question, Kara. I know. I <laughs> Do know. Do we have three hours? I know. Um, so I think there are a couple of things. First thing I thought about was this idea of comparison. And I think that comparison gets us into so much trouble. For a very long time, I had this quote on my, on my computer that said, comparison is the thief of joy. I'm going to say it again because it's a good one. Comparison is the thief of joy. And that really struck me. Like I thought, Jesus Christ, like I don't have to be like this award-winning photographer who I am so inspired by. Like what they do is amazing, but I don't have to be like them. And if I'm not like them, that doesn't mean that I'm any less. Brilliant. Do, I mean, do, do you find yourself compare, like when you're going through difficult times, do you find yourself comparing to people? I used to, but I think as I've gotten older, I've recognized you know, and kind of like what we talked about before in terms of public speaking and like wanting to show up on the stage like we have our shit together. I yeah. think over the years, I've learned that like you have to be careful, like you have to understand the metrics you're analyzing, right? Like the old CPA in me kind of like comes to life and it's like, you know, or like the apples and oranges thing, like what you might be comparing yourself to might be not a facade, but it's going to be like the best presented packaged version of somebody's experience. You know, like when like when you look on Facebook and, and you know, like everything wonderful. And like, I know on a an earlier podcast, I was talking to Marika Anthony Shaw. And, you know, one of the things that came up in our conversation where she, you know, she's a 
a working mom and t- just talking about how how much of a soul crusher like Pinterest can be sometimes like where you 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 attach yourself to these ideals that are like so stylized and perfected and had like a team of people like working on and then mm-hmm. you know we we berate ourselves as women because we can't make our house look like that or our body look like that or you know insert whatever you're you're trying to take a wrench and a hammer to <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and if you don't mind me interjecting here, I, you know, aside from the comparison piece, which definitely took up um, a lot of my time when I was younger and early in my career as a photographer, I, I find that I don't do that anymore. I don't look, I don't look at other people's work. I really work hard to stay focused on what I do and what I do well and and why I think people come to me. And so I try to stay focused on that. But the social media piece, I think, is another part of, of where perfectionists really can get into trouble. And it's not just perfectionists. I think it's everyone. I think that there's something about social media that makes us feel bad. And I know that that, I, I, I mean, I think sometimes that is the, the main goal of social media. What I have been working on is really taking myself out of that realm because it was too painful. So I, you know, I really try to find other ways to connect via social media that doesn't affect my psyche and doesn't affect my my self-esteem because I think that I think social media can be a really tricky place to be. I don't believe that everything that people put out there is true. And and even for myself, like when I'm on Facebook, especially my personal page, I try to be positive because that's what I want to put out in the world and I know people appreciate that perspective and those things that I want to share. But man, let me tell you, some days I am having a shitty day and all I want to do is say the F word over, (laughs) over and over again. And I won't do that because that's not what I want to put out in the world. Plus, my mother will call me on that shit in a second. (laughs) But, But I think that we have to be really careful about what we see out in uh, Facebook land and any other social media because I don't think it's all true. And I don't always think that people are trying to be manipulative. Some people are, but some people aren't. And I think we just have to be careful. And so I find for myself, I really am taking a step back from social media, especially after this election, so that I can be in touch with people in real time, face to face, having a cup of coffee, you know, having an experience with them. Like I'm finding more and more that that is what is bringing me great joy. And it is also, I think it is cutting back on the judgment. I think it is, um, it's just allowing me to be more productive because I am bring, you know, like I am surrounding myself with the people who are bringing encouragement and support and joy and productivity and all of this exciting stuff into my life versus going down these rabbit holes uh, on Facebook, which 
you know, happens to, to so many of us. And especially when we're, um, when we are folks who work alone all day. I mean, for me, I often look to Facebook as a way to like connect, but I don't think it's the kind of connection that my body is really craving. Yes, I, I agree. I've been really thinking about like what I want my relationship to be. I mean, I think for me personally, it is about connection. I work by myself and I'm, I would say like 51%, maybe 55% extrovert you know, 45% introvert. So like, I always have to make sure that I'm, I'm getting the socialization <laughs> that I need. So yeah, it's a, it is a double-edged sword sometimes. Like, it's something that I hope to have some more time in the new year to kind of revisit, like, because there is also as an entrepreneur, like the need to be out there in some way and, and people to find you. And that's an easy way to, to do it in a lot of ways. But then recognizing like, what are, what's the cost to my my being whether it be my mind my heart my gut like what what are the effects of social media it sounds like social media is some really constructive self-care for you to be doing right now what else do you do in terms of self-care this is a good question and it has kind of shifted especially over the last couple of years I have a sister who is a personal coach and she's super positive and she is, she's like into it and it is so inspiring and she is always checking in with me and she has really been the one to get me back on the exercise track because I haven't always been a fan of exercise. I will be perfectly honest, but she has really helped me with that. So I guess there are a couple of things. Um, I try to stay connected to her and her community so that I am thinking about my food choices and my exercise and even the amount of alcohol I drink because I feel like that can certainly get in the way when we're feeling down or overwhelmed. So she's a great she's a great support for me. I think the other thing is um, meditation, which I've been reading a lot about. And I have a couple of friends who swear by meditation, and I myself have begun to do it every morning. And I really feel that that has um, made a difference for me, and I so appreciate that. And I think the last piece is really trying to find productive ways to escape. So for me, there are two things. One is to be by the water whenever possible. And the second is movies. I love movies. And (laughs) I know movies aren't like massages, but movies are my way of just taking some time and like, like getting completely immersed in this story. And I love them. It's a nice escape and it's a nice, like, especially if you're into visual art, which you certainly have an eye for. I mean, there's so many layers to film, like a good film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I don't like all kinds of movies. I'm not the sort of person that's like, yeah, whatever, bring it on. There are specific kinds of movies that I like to go see. But when I think that my most favorite movie experience is knowing absolutely nothing about a movie and being, you know, totally surprised by what 
what it's about and and um, the quality of the movie as opposed to a crappy movie, which unfortunately for a very long time I had the reputation of picking out the worst possible <laughs> movies ever. So um, I think that has shifted. I, I, I want to think it has. You've turned a corner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but I, you know, and there's one last thing, Kara, that I want to say about the self-care piece, which I didn't mention, and it's actually on the top of my list, and that is sleep. Yes. <laughs> you know, I haven't always been the best sleeper, so there are times that I go through periods where I'm not sleeping well, and I feel like I'm always working on that that part of my life. So if I have to take a nap, I am more like... I feel like as I get older, I'm, I'm happy to do that. If I need to sleep in a little bit, I will do that. And being, you know, um, my own business, you know, being a business owner of just me, <laughs> um, I'm able to do that too. So sleep is a really huge piece and I am working on um, making that more, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I'm going to bed at a regular time and I'm trying to get up at a regular time so that I have a real, uh, a really nice sleep pattern in place so you're working you're focusing on your sleep hygiene like really getting a rhythm to it and I don't know if you realize this but just the other things that you mentioned in terms of self-care like when you're talking about exercising more during the day and you're talking about meditation I mean exercise for certain it will influence the quality of sleep and you know and also watching alcohol consumption so it sounds like you're you're doing all the right things in the other parts of the day to set yourself up for better results when you go to bed. Yeah, I'm working on it. And I have seen, I have seen changes when I have implemented new things and that's been really exciting. Nice, nice. And Sandra, I have another question for you that may seem, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different perspective, but it's something that I really would love to hear your opinion on. How do you measure success for yourself? Well, I think that that has changed over the years. I think if you had asked me earlier on in my early 20s, it would be about all of the things that I was able to accomplish, you know, taking a class and having a successful project and, um, you know, doing all of these things, just checking it off the list. And I think as I get a little wiser, I'm able to be more present and connected to the things that make me happy. These days, I would say success is doing work that feels connected to my soul. And that includes both the personal Uh, relationships that I create with my clients as well as colleagues. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is creating work, creating photographs that speak to my creative side and, you know, feeling like those are images that I feel good sharing with my clients, but also images that I really want to share with the world. So, so that one piece of it, and well, actually, no, there's one other layer, which is making money. Like, I, I, I mean, here's the thing. I could do all of those things that I just said and have an awesome hobby, but I've chosen to make it my profession. And so I 
you know, I want to be able to make a living. I want to be able to serve my clients well. I want to be able to create incredible art. And I also want to be able to make a living from it. That right there is amazing because then I get to live my best whole life. I get to plan my time in such a way that, you know, once all of those things are accomplished, then I can start to think about the other stuff that I really want to do on the personal side. And that includes spending time with my wife and spending time with my siblings and my parents and being able to have that, that, that time that is meaningful because that stuff, honestly, that stuff right there is the piece that I want to be thinking a lot about when I'm in my eighties and nineties is like the experiences that I had in this lifetime with people who really mean something to me. Yeah. I don't think anyone on their deathbed is like, man, I'm really glad I checked off the all holy of checkboxes complete on my task list, right? Like, I think what you're talking about is so important. As as one entrepreneur to another, that can get muddy really quickly. And there are times where I've scheduled myself poorly or haven't budgeted enough time for things or whatever. And I've had to make tough calls and sometimes my personal life has had to take the sacrifice and take one for the team. How do you make sure that you're keeping that space while at the same time being mindful that like this is your job and you you want to make a decent living for yourself? I am a real believer in making lists and those lists include goals. For me, knowing exactly why I'm doing this work and how I'm going to do it is important to keeping a schedule, keeping a, a workflow that is efficient, and being able to meet the needs of your clients so that you know, you're doing all of that and keeping yourself on track. So I find myself in a really interesting place. I have always been a humongous extrovert, which means I want to do, I want to go, I want to be. Like, the brain is never stopping, and there are people (laughs) I need to be with at every moment of the day. Now, that can be really challenging if you're trying to get stuff done. And... And, uh, and what has been happening for me over the last six months to a year has been really interesting in that I have found myself feeling less like I need to be involved in absolutely everything. And at first it scared me because I was like, oh, what is happening? Why <laughs> Why do not do I not want to be at absolutely every networking event and going out every night, socializing every weekend? Like what what is happening to me? But I think what I am beginning to appreciate is that I am really starting to get focused on the things that are important to me. And I'm starting to be able to, to pay more attention to the, some of my new interests. And so what that means is all of the time that I was spending socializing and getting out there and doing all of those things has been trimmed down 
not because I felt I needed to, but because somehow something has shifted for me and I don't feel the need to, to have to do all of those things. So instead, I have more of the attention span to focus on the work that needs to get done. It uh, also pushes me to be more efficient in my systems because I know that it's not just about perfecting a photograph or perfecting the product that I'm creating. It is about making it awesome and getting it to my clients as soon as possible because I want them to have that in their hands quickly. So somehow I am able to cut down on the perfectionism in order to have a better experience both for myself and for my clients. And I feel like the more that I am able to push that ship button, you know, to really get it out to people and to do more of the things that I really enjoy doing, the more productive I am, the more efficient I become because I am creating these processes to allow more stuff to happen. It just, it, it, it is becoming this really amazing cycle. So it's like, okay, so I want to do more of this. How do I make that happen? Like I'm making choices that I haven't made in the past because I'm willing to let go of the perfectionism in order to create an awesome product that I get out to the world quicker. So like that's kind of cool. And so when I'm doing all of those things, it also means that I am able to make more time for my personal life. And that feels amazing. Yes. Yes. So cool. Yeah, it is so cool. Sandra, you are just such an amazing woman. And I, I want to be respectful of your time. Do you have time to stick around and tackle some of my champagne questions? Yes, I always love champagne. So I am available. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. So these questions, they kind of revolve around topics that sort of interest me and that I want to hear just different women's perspectives on. Because as much as this show is for everyone listening to be able to eavesdrop on on conversations that I have with people that I just respect and can learn from, I think hearing things in different ways always helps. And, and I get to learn from this process too. So that's what these questions are about. So you can answer them as succinctly or expand as much as you want. But the first question is, what song pumps you up or soothes you the most? Dude, I love this question so much. <laughs> I have always loved music to the point that I, when I was younger, I couldn't be in a room without music playing. I mean, like, I bought a waterproof radio for the shower just so that I was always surrounded by music. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. So I came up with three songs and... None of them are soothing and they are all, they're very different from each other. So uh, first is, first is Ozzy Osbourne, Crazy Train. Like I love that song. Every time I hear that, I am jacked. So that is number one on the list. Awesome. Second is Stevie Wonder, Sir Duke. That song makes me so happy. I just want to twirl around in a dress. Nice. 
And the last one is Gary Glitter's Rock and Roll Part 2. And for some people, they will not know what the song is, like, by name. But when you hear it, you will imagine yourself in, like, a sports stadium. Yes. And you are rocking the foam finger. As soon as you said it, I was thinking, Jock Jam. It's like an ESPN Jock Jam. Dude, one of my (laughs) most favorite albums of all time and I will also just say this about that last song before I left to become a a full-time photographer I at my day job we had a PA system and (laughs) this sounds dangerous yeah I I'm not really sure what it is about PA systems but I love them (laughs) and so I asked if I could make an announcement at the end of the work week. So at five o'clock on Friday, I would get on the PA system and I'd say a couple of things. And then I would play Gary Glitter and people would rock out for a couple of minutes. And then we would be on to our weekends. It was awesome. That is an amazing story. Like you've totally shifted the visual image I now have of that song. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was pretty great. That's amazing. And Sandra, what do you go back to for inspiration again and again? And and when I say, what do you go back to? This can be a work of art, a place, whatever suits you. I, I came up with my family. You know, I saw them recently for the holiday, and I was feeling down after the election, and I really wanted a pick-me-up. I needed something, and we just hung out, and we laughed, and we did crazy things, and they they are always my inspiration. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. And what's your favorite tool, app, gadget, or resource? As of late, my favorite app is called calm.com and it's spelled C-A-L-M and I use it to meditate and it is a really nice, easy app that I use on my phone. Nice, nice. Meditation practices, I feel like it seems like they're coming more into vogue as apps are coming out to support it. It's, It's awesome to hear you're using that and it's making such an impact in your life. It's great. I, I really, it's, um, it allows me to do something that I have a hard time, time doing on my own. And you, you touched on a little bit earlier, like creating systems for yourself. And I think you know my incredibly geeky fascination with task list management. How do you organize all your lists? Well, I have tried two different things. I used to just write things down in a book and then I thought, I need to get I need to get up to date here. I need to get electronic. And so I started using a list program called Wunderlist. And it's a it's made by a German company. And I used that for a while, but then it dropped off and I was back to writing lists again in my book. And that is my most favorite way to organize things because I like to see it all on paper and I like to check that shit off. <laughs> the all holy checkbox. You betcha. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for that insight. And these next few questions are about being a modern woman. And I know they're kind of huge questions, but I, I think they're ones that we just all have to keep talking about as women. And so the first one is how would you define being a modern woman? 
Oh, this I I thought this one was a hard one for me. I guess what I came up with was giving yourself the freedom to just be yourself. And not because you're a woman, not because you're a lesbian, not because you're an entrepreneur, like, like, go deeper, you know, like, just, I think that I think that there is so much to being who you are in this time and day. And we should not allow other people to define what that looks like, but that we should spend the time to define it for ourselves. Well said. And what would you like to see modern women give more of a shit about? Money. I want them to care more about their money. I want them to think think more about making it, saving it, and being an active participant in their household. Wow. This is, I, that's one that I haven't heard yet. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think money is, I think it can be a really interesting and dicey topic, but I, I think that we should be talking about it more. Yeah, there's, there's so many issues around money, like just the psychology of it, what it represents. And I think you're right. I think it's something that everyone is not as willing to talk about. It's, it's uncomfortable because, one, we have our internal stuff, and then we're wondering what the hell are other people's, you know, internal issues with money as well. Yeah, I think it's where the judgment piece comes back in. Yeah, I feel like we could probably talk for days on this topic. You betcha. <laughs> and I know you touched on the, the comparison point earlier. So this may be your answer, but I wanted to double check in case you wanted to expand. What would you like to see modern women give less of a shit about? I I was thinking about social media and I was thinking about, you know, this idea of how many likes, how many thumbs up you get. You know, I'd like to see people get out there and get connected with real human beings. Great point. And here's where I'm going to turn the mic over to you. This is your mic drop moment, if you will. What do you most want Levital Core Salon listeners to know? I'm going to keep it really simple. I think being your true, authentic self is beautiful. Unless, of course, you're an asshole. But, <laughs> but I do think that being yourself is the way to go always. <laughs> so perfectly said. So perfectly said. Assholes listening, keep it in check. Everyone else, <laughs> dial it up. <laughs> and yes. Sandra, before I let you totally run away and get back to your day, if women want to learn more about you and your work, what is the best way they can connect with you? I think the best way for folks to be in touch with me is to check out my website, which is sandralovesyou.com. Or if they want to shoot me an email because they want to be in touch, it's sandra at sandralovesyou.com. And the last place that I will put out there is Instagram, which is where I am doing more of my posting these days. And I'm trying to post photographs and behind the scenes and video. And I think that that will shift a little bit over the next couple of months. So I think it would be great if folks could stay tuned to my Instagram account, which is Sandra Costello Photography. Sandra loves you. Sandra loves you is is taken. So I've gone with Sandra Costello. No way. Yeah, it's it made me so sad. But 
Sandra Costello Photography is where you'll find me on Instagram. Awesome. And I encourage everyone listening to check out what Sandra's doing. And Sandra, thank you again for being here. I know this is, these are long interviews and you know, you've had to pull time out of your schedule. But I am so in awe of your ability to just really, truly walk your talk and be congruent in that you really do show up as the the full, radical, in-color, pixie-sized, loving person that you are in real life. And so thank you for being here. Thank you for showing up as you. And thank you for sharing things that are not easy to talk about in in the hopes to to connect other women and and let other women know things okay. Things are okay. Kara, I appreciate everything that you just said. I love that you called me radical and I feel the same level of admiration for you and I so appreciate this time to really talk about the real stuff, which it really isn't easy and I don't think it's um you know, I don't think that you always know how to articulate it in a way so that you don't feel silly or you don't even feel like um, you're revealing too much. But I think when you do go deep, it is super beneficial to yourself and those who are listening. Amazing. Thank you again. Thanks, Kara. This is Kara again, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. All of today's show notes can be found at levitalcoresalon.com. So that's any names we mentioned, any resources we mentioned. They're all right there, so you don't have to worry about scribbling stuff down. It's already typed out and easily clickable for you. If you dug today's show or even a past show, Please support La Vital Course Salon. One of the best ways you can do that is by going to iTunes and rating and leaving a short review. It literally takes a couple of minutes, but it will help other people find this show. And new shows will be up on the second and fourth Wednesdays of each month. So if you're wondering what that timing is, that's what it looks like. And before I bounce, I want to give a big merci beaucoup to my producer, Craig Snyder, and to Rishi Deer of Elephant Stone for writing, and the High Dials for performing my most excellent theme song and all the music you hear. And don't forget, you deserve a life spiked with passion and slathered with joy. Don't let burnout or bullshit slow you down. See you next time. <laughs>